there is a revolution obviously going on in how this has become a democratized way of seeing uh, more new ideas coming almost every day i can't even keep up with the number of papers that are coming uh, our way or the number of models being published data artificial intelligence the metaverse crypto and web3 and quantum computing are just a few of the technology innovations that are changing the way we live work and experience the universe i am your host ganesh padmanabhan and this is stories in ai a podcast where we explore the various facets of technologies like ai its impact on individuals organizations and the society you will hear from a variety of experts and practitioners their personal stories their best practices and advice to put technology to work i hope you enjoy this engaging conversations Akshay, welcome to Stories in AI. Fascinating to see you again. How are you? I'm doing good. Thank you, Ganesh, for having me on this. It's really a great show, and I'm looking forward to like uh, contribute any which way I can. No, I think it's going to be that the audience are going to love this show because you and I have a lot of geek out sessions talking about the state of AI and stuff. Now you're at Lyric as Chief AI Officer. You're doing a lot of things in. like an industry like healthcare we'll, we'll come to all of that but why don't you kick us off with your background tell us who's akshay who tell us your story absolutely and I'll try to keep it short because it, i've been working for a while so uh <laughs> maybe the last 13 to 14 years of my life i've been an entrepreneur um and i did not start in healthcare i actually started building te- uh, technologies in adtech i would say Uh, one of the thing that i i always struggled being an entrepreneur doing things in ad tech was i never found that for me for my own moral compass a value coming out of that so um but prior to that i had some exposure working at a, a contract research organization cros uh and i saw firsthand what it looks like to analyze data uh for late stage you know diseases especially um you know like cancer and and cardio diseases and it seemed pretty impactful that we could bring sort of data analysis to move the needle there and understand like you know what are the opportunities there so so that got me sort of going back to healthcare because uh i always found it to be valuable to do something there so that uh leaving at tech i joined a company called human api um where we end of the day we ended up building sort of a universal api for all of health data so started with device data but then we quickly added like clinical data labs pharmacies uh and this is prior to like apple health uh even existing so we were one of the pioneers uh-huh. in being able to build this api based and consumer control meaning that the patient authorizes data exchange so learned a lot doing that because uh that was sort of the you know baptism by fire to understand how difficult healthcare is healthcare and healthcare data uh, nothing actually interoperates there have been like measures on wanting to bring interoperability but um and fire was a standard that was emerging back then and i'm talking about 2014 uh, but even with all of that at play uh, getting getting data from point a to point b and using it for something that a patient or a member or a human cares about um was almost impossible So now we see a lot of attempts have happened since then obviously Apple health leading the way uh human api did well as well so we see that these are like you know like a- absolute base infrastructure on which you know we can build other types of health applications so left human api to like sort of build a startup 
where I saw that you know the the phones were getting really powerful. The camera on the phone was incredibly good. You could back in the day in 2015, 2016, you could do OCR on the phone. Uh, and with the early sort of you know uh, uh, arrival of deep learning models to do um, a vision specifically vision based models, I realized that we could apply that for extracting medical information from text uh, from basically pieces of paper a lot of like uh, healthcare data is still on paper surprisingly right so uh, how do you use that to extract certain relevant information so that product that i was working on caught the eye of uh, founders from DocAI, walter and sam and they reached out to me to see if i was interested in in joining forces and building out that in a more grander perspective for clinical trials and and observational clinical trials specifically so so I ended up like becoming the CTO of DocAI, where we uh, sort of had a very storied right to say, because we ended up building a lot of privacy preserving, giving more, empowering patients more to do things with their health data on their phones. So not just you vision models, but also like using audio and uh, geolocation models and, and use that in a very specific set of use cases, like say clinical trials. Do you qualify for clinical trials? Can you find observational trials? So, so it was all, always about empowering the patient. And that's the journey I've been on for the last more than a decade. And uh, as part of that, I got the great opportunity to work with a lot of talented people, including Rajiv Ranaki, who was leading some of the digital initiatives at Elevance, um, ended up collaborating with him and then he made uh, he convinced me that you know where we are with lyric is is where the future is going so uh yeah i i think you know as an entrepreneur i have always like sort of fancied using data and ai and things i took a small break between doing healthcare to go back into deep tech uh built a company around sort of edge computing so how do you like uh, take privacy aspects of not just healthcare for any type of data and move those to edges so that's been my journey looking forward to like you know share whatever i've learned along the way yeah, no, that's awesome. And and for the audience, right? So uh, first of all, what a fascinating uh, journey. And like, you know, you, you've really gone into the gut of healthcare, solving the hardest problems around data to make the most uh, impact by actually empowering patients and members at the other end of it, right? So for, for the audience, I think, you know, Lyric Health is a payment accuracy and payment integrity company. They've launched a new platform called Lyric AI and Lyric IQ. And we, uh, my company, Autonomize AI, is also a partner with them. So we strategically partner run getting AI, using AI to transform workflows for the patient for the better, right? So, um, so what do you do as your role as the chief AI officer at Lyric? Where you know, just give us a day to day view of this, right? Because there's a lot of things happening in the world right now. <laughs> Oh, absolutely. And, and I'm glad you you brought that up because first of all, I, I want to say that, you know, it's great partnering with you uh, and, and definitely you personally, but also with Autonomize, because I think the way we are seeing the world of uh, payment integrity and payment accuracy in general uh, evolve, we need a lot more ways to like uh, understand the data and make like, you know, decisions that are not easy just looking at structured data. So for, for the uninitiated, payment accuracy and payment integrity is that part of the healthcare that looks at billions and billions of claims and uses the right uh, set of protocols and logic and rules to make and adjudicate those claims. Uh, and these rules and claims are not decided on a whim. These are actually decided by HHS and state and a lot of mandates and government policies are you being used to sort of drive these decisions. And Lyric for Lyric has been in this business for more than 25 years. So we are a market leader. 
we have like uh, proprietary data and knowledge on this. Uh, a lot of this is rule driven today, and but we have built the repository of knowledge base on which we can actually make these decisions. So where we are going as a company is how do you think about accuracy and payment accuracy in a, in a broader term? That means that um, doing just not just prepay editing, which is where you apply rules for incoming claims to make decisions, but then you're looking at it a broader sort of, you know, strokes and asking the question, uh, are there faster ways we can actually adjudicate a claim? Uh, what typically takes sometimes weeks, can we do it in, in minutes? Uh, and especially on postpay, things like fraud-based and abuse or even coordination of benefits or itemized bill review, these typically can go from weeks to months, sometimes even years. So how do we bring that into sort of like shift left that into sooner is yep. sort of the overarching charter under which I'm operating. Yeah. That's awesome. So, um, you know, it's interesting and, and Lyric as, you know, as in a, as you said, a market leadership position, you see a lot of these data flow through the system and you're far setting the mm -hmm. foundation to innovate beyond just payments, right? So like payment is definitely one focus, but you know, the, one of the theses mm -hmm. that, and you and I talk about it all the time that I always believed in was, you know, health tech innovation over the last decade was always about picking a narrow vertically integrated problem and just go solving it end to end, right? As a result, mm -hmm. you know, uh, in addition to the benefit that it brings, it also brings another challenge, which is healthcare, you know, has an interoperability problem. Healthcare has a data siloing problem mm -hmm. and you exacerbate the problem. So that's why you have United Health has got probably 500 vendors for telehealth, right? So it just doesn't make any sense. And each of them is a different silo. Mm -hmm. So really, really excited about, you know, Lyric's approach to this problem of how do you really Think of think of it on a, from a ground up perspective, like get the set the data foundation, solve the problems across the continuum mm -hmm. and so forth. Um, let me switch gears to AI, right? A lot of things mm -hmm. happening in the world today. It's the hottest topic at World Economic Forum where Raji was, uh, you know, it's the hottest topic in any meetings you go into. People have hardly, mm -hmm. you know, knew what AI was about a year ago. Uh, it's now experts thanks to ChatGPT and the accelerated learning curves. Uh, so, Give us a view of the land on how you see where is AI today? What is it really good at? What is the what is a now opportunity versus how it's evolving into the future? It, it's a great question. So, uh, you know, honestly, we are in the AI summer uh, and hopefully we are actually in the AI spring because I still expect a lot more to come. Uh, with the what's possible with AI, right? So, so where we are today, if you think about the the recent breakthroughs in in sort of the language models becoming a lot more um, uh, easy to like understand and deal with. Like I still remember back in G, uh, I was we were one one of the early adopters of GPT two, and we were trying to like you know the the concept of prompts are still very uh, early back then. But what we have seen since twenty nineteen to like obviously the GPT three dot five breakthrough that happened in twenty twenty two to like sort of bigger more bigger models coming coming our way and especially open source models, uh, what we're witnessing is sort of a spurt of activity that we are understanding that these language models can use under the right sort of, you know, guided way can actually be really useful for certain types of jobs to be done, right? So that's, that's the aha thing that I have realized. Uh, previously, I've worked with several versions of machine learning, uh, including deep learning models, and um, they have worked in certain narrow, uh, you know, like sort of 
field of view of doing things. But none of the AI has been general enough to use it for across a broad set of tasks. Uh, but with large language models, again, I would not quote that they are still ready in a very general sense, but you can take the underlying sort of models and be able to use it for a very specific set of tasks. So that's that's one, I think, key breakthrough that we're seeing. Um, the second thing I think is there is a revolution obviously going on in how this has become a democratized way of seeing uh, more new ideas coming almost every day. I can't even keep up with the number of papers that are coming uh, our way or the number of models being published. Uh, but what I'm seeing here is that obviously there are closed source proprietary models like you know OpenAI's, but then uh, betting on the open ecosystem, we are seeing obviously like you know what Meta is doing with Llama too, but also like other participants like uh, Microsoft and Anthropic and others who are pushing out like more and more open models. Uh, this allows us to sort of have an ecosystem of options. So uh, we can use these models to uh, basically get our jobs done. And we can go into what those jobs look like uh, specifically in the areas they, they shine. No, it's fascinating. I think, you know, you're like a couple of things to call, you, you just reinforce what you said, right? One is definitely, I mean, language as some medium of like you're short circuiting, right? It, it, Earlier, you used to say something to somebody, mm -hmm. they have to then translate it into a spec, and then they actually go have to write the code for it and then go get the work done, right? Now, that whole thing just gets short-circuited. It becomes a medium of human-to-human -human interaction or human-to-machine interaction and, and all of the other combinations, right? So it's fascinating. I think language definitely is a, is, a, is a huge thing. I do think, though, I mean, like, and I know you and I talked about this before, too, multimodal is the next frontier when you can really go in from representations, mm -hmm. you know, like end of the day, even like we, we talk about it, text messaging and stuff, like we're, we're squeezing all the bandwidth of everything that we're thinking into these two fingers and the, the mm -hmm. words, word rate per second is actually much <laughs> lower, right? Than, than just our thoughts. So right. representing data <laughs> in the most natural multidimensional way to compute on it is definitely an evolution we're excited about too, right? Um, I, I love the other yeah. thing that you mentioned, which is like, while so the what, the open source movement, huge believer in that. I think you're exactly mm -hmm. right. I mean, eventually in the long term, in the long run, open source will uh, play out. And I want to actually, the, the flip side mm -hmm. of this is actually, there's a lot of fear mongering. We'll come to that, that, you know, um, I want to hear your thoughts on that too. Mm -hmm. But then the mm -hmm. notion that, you know, so one, you have an ecosystem of capabilities to choose from it and improves choice for innovators, entrepreneurs, organizations to go do it. But the more important thing that you actually said, which really caught, you know, I think, we're, again, we're aligned on that, right? Which is, you'll have this large, generally capable model, the path and a march towards AGI. And then you'll mm -hmm. find these task-based expert models that are just focused on one task, and mm -hmm. it does it really, really well. I mean, we, at Autonomize, we built a clinical large language model, and we didn't even call it a large language model at the time when we built it, right? But it was it does one thing and one thing really, really well, which is understand and extract medical information, mm -hmm. bioentity signals, and summarize and, uh, um, you know, and, and synthesize that kind of information, right? It's, it's an expert model, much smaller footprint. It can be actually chained with other models, mm -hmm. larger language models, and so forth. I definitely do believe that that's going to be a future, uh, the future of how we're doing. You're going to have this interplay of multiple models that come together to go do it, right? Yep. Um, explore that a little bit more for me in terms of, if you don't mind, right? Just going into saying, look, what yeah. are those jobs to be done, right? How do you break down this you know, massive problem and break it into little things and then have 
little agents actually yeah. do this thing. And, you know, we, we, we goofed around with this idea a lot during our TED AI uh, meetup, right? So just yeah. e- explore that for me a little bit. Yeah, I think your framing is exactly what we are actually witnessing within the RIC as well. Um, instead of having a very general purpose, large model that has a sort of a worldly view on things that you can reason with, uh, where we are seeing more bang for the buck, for for better word, is actually having small large language models that are hyper specialized in certain small areas of domains, right? So, so think of it like okay, within the world of payment integrity, we are obviously looking at the content itself that comes from CMS and states, and we need to understand what that means. Right. Basically, these are governance and policies on how to adjudicate claims, right? So these uh, these are written in there are hundreds of thousands of these documents written in PDFs by clinicians, basically. And we need to understand that and parse that and make that into codable logic, right? So so for me, that's a specialized domain. And we can use the a very generalized model, but unless we are able to like sort of fine tune it or use the right like rag systems to go with it with the right level of prompts, we can't get the best out of it. And to run it at cost for us, we look at like small large language models that we can either run on very, very cheap GPUs. And in fact, we, we can even run a lot of them yeah. on CPUs as well. So we've been able to like crack that uh, efficiency gain. So our cost to like operationalize this goes down. But where I see that expand is this was just one area of what payment integrity looks like. But then when you add layers like uh, what about coordination of benefits? What about eligibility data? What about membership data? What about like, you know, clinical data? So we have so many small subdomains with its own intricacies. And we talked about how the data is not really interoperable between them because different standards have emerged over years and they've all been duct taped in some sense to like, you know, make it all work. And we have humans in the loop sometimes to like say, okay, this data is in this way. We'll, we'll FTP you this somewhere in this place so you can act on it. What, what we're seeing is that without having to like sort of boil the ocean of getting all the data in a single standard, which doesn't happen because it's not under one single entity, we can apply sort of specialized models on the edges. And even if the data is like very hyper-specialized or structured in a certain way for one domain, it can still be conversant with another on, on the other side, either to like a programmed API or to another language model on the other side, right? So, so this is sort of the, the emergence of what I call as agents for the jobs to be done. And by keeping small large language models specialized for certain jobs to be done, we think we can build an orchestra. In, in our world, we call it a playlist. Uh, being lyric and as a musically sounding company, we like to use these phrases. So we can build this playlist of like agents that can talk to each other and converse across data domains, right? So this is, I think, where I think there is a big, uh, for us, we are seeing efficiency gains and this is where our research is actually going in lyric as well. That is awesome. What a fascinating world we live in, right? I think it's just like, it is any, if, if it's a, there's a, we used to say this even before the last winter, right? We're in like, if you can teach an algorithm uh, something, it'll do it better than the human being, right? I mean, if you the, the catch is, can you <laughs> yeah. get the right data? Can you help it understand it? Can you go do it? And I think on the one hand, this, I mean, I love the whole, you know, creating an army of these LLMs or LLM agents, if you will, that are all specialized. Mm-hmm. Like one area that we have been seeing a lot of, it's interesting, I mean, not, applicable for every use cases, but the autogen framework, right? We're in conversational, multi-conversational agents to solve a problem. So we, you know, as you know, we've been very heavily focused on prior authorization as a entry point for most of our customers. 
customers, right? Yep. We start there, it's huge efficiency gains, and we make the whole experience a lot more relevant. But that data is so valuable, we then use it for quality, risk adjustments, all of that stuff downstream, all the clinical data. Mm-hmm. You merge it with some claims data, you merge it with some call center data, you merge it with eligibility data, it kind of solves a whole uh, array of problems. One interesting, and it's still you know more research-oriented that we have done, is created this conversational agents who are specialists in certain kind of data science, data types. Similar idea what you're saying, but you know, less on the transformation side, more on the kind of reasoning side. I mean, it's a cool demo. It shows us a good demo, but it's really, I don't think it's prime time to go deploy in production. But the ability to have, you know, mm-hmm. not just one, and instead of having like, you know, if you have one AI system that is kind of adjudicating against guidelines, imagine having three of them one is specialized in musculoskeletal surgery procedures. The other one is specialized in, you know, mm-hmm. uh, uh, understanding about patient experiences. The third one is specialized in something else. Them having a conversation to rationalize and build a summary for the nurse to actually take a look and say, mm-hmm. you know what, this may actually be, you know, even though I don't meet all the guidelines here, uh, because there's a lot of that gut-based decision that are being made, right? Because the, the nurses have the front-end right. experience and they're like, well, Ideally, this is not a compliant uh, procedure, but I'm looking at their auth history, I'm looking at their medical history, I'm looking at their claims history, maybe we should just approve this because it's going to lead to a lot more abrasion for the patient than you know us trying to save a few dollars here, right? And it's a regulated process, you get to be documented, yeah. you get to do this thing. So we're seeing the emergence of how do you use, like just like how humans do, have a conversation among two or three experts, mm-hmm. find out the right thing and then prioritize that and then rationalize that against this thing. And today you can do that all in software with LLMs, right? So it, it's, it's fascinating this world yeah. that we live in, right? How this is going to shape up. Love the, love the, I'm, I'm really- I mean, it yeah. is shocking. It is shocking how fast it's it's actually becoming very real. And and I want to like, uh, first of all, I want to like absolutely say like, you know, the, the stuff that autonomized AI has brought to the table for Lyric, especially around prior art and heat scoring. And these, these are complex domains where you need multimodal data. I mean, obviously you need clinical data, which has a different frequency than claims data. And then you potentially have like PDFs coming in for yeah. bills and other things. So making that decision, um, you know, what I call this as is like sort of uh, what's the purpose of somebody in healthcare, right? The what's the what's the real purpose? Uh, because I think LLMs allow us to ask that question going forward. For me, I think for healthcare, it is about like giving back time for people to care for people, right? Like, and and if you look at nurses or clinicians in, in are sitting there trying to chase data, right? Like the data, even if the data is centralized, they are not compatible. They're not human readable because end of the day, I think humans, humans have to be empowered to make the decision yeah. better. But procuring the data and synthesizing and understanding that is 80% of the work that's wasted effort and, and what you bring to the table with autonomize and this idea of having multiple agents that can, and, and here's the beauty in software, right? So you don't need just one agent. You can you can have slightly different agents with slightly different um, sort of weighted weights that could score each other and give the sort of output and you pick the best exactly. of the, there are many, many ways to exactly. like sort of like roll this out and the cost curve for like deploying these are going down dramatically. Like I said, like, you know, we crack the CPU, we can run a small lang- language model on CPU, which means that you just need like data center CPUs to run these things. Uh, but going back to what you're saying, like I think if the agents can talk and get the summary of different types of data, so a human makes decision on 
about care, we are getting rid of like a huge administrative burden cost. That's like 30% of our, like, you know, $4.5 trillion of our healthcare economy is basically admin burden, which spread over in many different ways. We can take, start taking chunks away. And then you bring the same thing for fraud, waste, and abuse. That's another 20, 30% in the system. Uh, and we can get more efficiencies. Now, obviously, this is a coordinated effort across so many stakeholders. But I think this is what keeps the optimism for me comes comes from the fact that for the first time, we actually have a good tool that can get us there, right? And this is like electricity in my mind. That's that's what's really like happened here. So this will change how we will do things in the future. I, I love it. I love that, um, you know, it is definitely electricity and it's electrifying to be in the space and doing this with, with you guys too, right? So uh, <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. Uh, well, yeah. one, you know, talking about, um, the, the the other flip side of this right uh trust and mm -hmm. you know you have these ro I mean, agents but then are they going to go rogue guardrails all of that kind of stuff so talk mm -hmm. explore a little bit about like two things right one is how do you balance the reliance on ai and these agents with human cognitive experience expertise and oversight and decision making that's one you know there's a lot of Frameworks evolving. Just you know, explore mm -hmm. that thought for me a little bit, and then definitely on the other side, I want to also yeah. hear about how practically can we address that today. Right? Go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, and by the way, we we take trust and safety as the most paramount uh, item in wanting to build this AI, and and to like sort of like tell a few things there. So one, we don't want to build an AI that makes decision on a click, right? So we don't want to do that because uh, I think that has to be still very explainable, reasonable, uh, as in reason with, and we don't want to apply AI to make automatic, automated decisions, right? So that's very important. But there are a lot of inefficiencies in the system where we can enable to make that decision sooner or faster for humans, that's where we are trying to apply AI. Like prior auth is a great example, right? So bringing the right information contextually so a human can make that decision is fantastic. And reducing that time there is obviously like, you know, the big win. So trust and safety starts by at, at the, the earliest level for us, right? So when we take a language model, uh, out of the box, these language models obviously hallucinate. So we really cannot use the generative bits of these models out of the box. So we actually use the models in slightly different ways, not, not generative aspects all the time, but uh, we have to build rag-based system. That's a, um, to me, I think that's an invariant. I think there is a thesis, there is a theory that like you could obviously feed all of this into the model and <laughs> build a more fine-tuned slash train models. Yeah. Uh, I'm still not convinced we are there yet in terms of like no. its ability can, can not I to hallucinate. So, can I say something there? Yeah. It's like yeah. imagining that yeah. you can find people with perfect memory and then stuff everything that you want to do into yeah. their memory at that moment and say, now make me decisions about 15 different things, right? The whole context <laughs> really, window yes. window conversation. But you're exactly right. And people, yeah, and, and yeah. If, you, if you look at look at the way the models behave based on how you like sort of prompt it or invoke it, it can come up with like different responses, even if its memory is perfect, but its generative yeah. aspects will by nature yeah. of it, like have a certain level of like, you know, hallucination uh, aspects. Right? That's the whole predictive predictability Absolutely. of the next word uh, comes from there. So we, we need to like build extremely well engineered 
highly sophisticated data engineered systems. And this is where like, you know, working with autonomize helps us get to market faster because thinking about like, how do you curate the data? What's in the data? How do you use the right embeddings? How do you tell the RAG system that uh, small language models need to like look at it as it's short, uh, short-term memory, but also it's it's long-term memory to some extent because we want to fine-tune the models as well. Uh, and then on top of that, we need to measure a lot of metrics, right? So we are actually measure, measuring like uh, sort of like what are, what's the out, output of a certain um, thing that came out of the, say, the language model. And then we make sure that there is human in the loop in some sense, right? So if it's an end user, we are obviously getting feedback from the end user uh, in like say co-pilots or chat-based systems. But if it's not an end user-based system, let's say we're, we're operationalizing our clinical workflows, none of, nothing goes outside before like a clinician actually looks at things right? or, or the clinical team looks at things. They're giving us constant feedback, right? So that's all those feedbacks are constantly like coming back. So obviously like uh, reinforcement learning with human feedback is one thing. Uh, Anthropic pushed the boundary there with uh, AI-based feedback. So we've not explored that. That may be in the future for us. But for us, it's about measuring, understanding these things, knowing what's risky, having the right thresholds, alerting, and not using these in the risky scenarios, but using these in like operational workflow scenarios where, where we are seeing a lot of gain. No, you know, fascinating. I mean, like outside of the techniques around like, you know, showing, you know, provenance and, you know, we're you know, trying to source and cite mm -hmm. everything that you see, restricting the unintended use of these kind of super broad models where it's not interpretable mm -hmm. or explainable uh you know the the rag based systems for having almost perfect long-term and medium-term memory all of that stuff but, but the most fundamental thing what you said early on is what you know strikes me the best right which is like just get to the basics define the jobs to be done right if you get that yes. right if you really think about it take any complex process and you can break down into the right jobs to be done then you can then it's like you know right now chat gpt is the hammer looking for a nail everybody has a nail everybody's a hammer right now right? <laughs> true like, and yeah. if you really break it down into like the jobs to be done and you break your thing i mean I, even prior off like we actually noticed that we were like originally it was like the 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 ultimate thing of an ai nurse generating the summary out of everything and mm -hmm. then you go and then you know outside of the trust and the you know adoption issue that we ran into, mm -hmm. we also noticed that like, no, people are trying to solve basic problems. They're like, hey, can you automate the intake of my faxes and all this multi-structured data into a place? Yeah. Can you automate me having to search this entire PDF repository for compliance guidelines and match it? Can you automatically match it? Can you adjudicate it for me? And then mm -hmm. that goes into saying, okay, now you have all that data. Now go look at the claims data, some of the other multimodal data set and generate that summary for me. But if you start with, I'm going to generate the summary for you at the other end, you know, you're, 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 you're going to, mm -hmm. you know, that's when you run into trouble where saying, okay, I'm just going to go use an LLM to go push this in through. It'll work great in, in, in pilots and POCs when you put it in production. Yeah. It won't, right? Um, I mean, this is, this, you bring up a very important point, like going to production versus like obviously sitting there building as a POC there is a, a huge level of difference, right? So, so one of the questions I get asked is like, oh, this is replacing engineering. Uh, you know, like it, it can write code. Uh, I actually would say that it, this brings back the need for rigorous engineering and the discipline of like, like understanding data and having AI governance specifically. And, and, and these things become very important. So obviously like as engineers, we get like benefits from like being more productive, 
but building a good production is about engineering high quality system especially with with language models and knowing where it will work and where it won't work right so it's easy to go wrong with a model yeah. very quickly because you're uh, it looks like a big hammer right so i'm looking for all those small nails it doesn't exist so this uh, to me i think that discipline thinking is very critical that's awesome yeah. you know bring out the the most human of what we're really good at the critical thinking aid that and augment that with the yeah. with the model and you know uh, actually this has been fascinating uh, one last call out, I think, and I want to say like, so we're um, autonomized is a finalist in the AI category at South by Southwest, the pitch competition in 2024. Ooh, Here's your nice. official invite to come to Austin during the week of, uh, you know, March uh, 9th. <laughs> so uh, please do. I'm excited. And, and, you know, I've never been to you. one. No, but I, I do think there's a fundamental, you know, what you just said, right? Like, you know, bringing all of these discussions together. I think the huge opportunity with AI is really, you know, make... Iron Man out of every Tony Stark out there, right? Meaning you can give them the Jarvis <laughs> suit that's going to extend their cognitive abilities, mm -hmm. their memory abilities, their analysis abilities, data mining mm -hmm. abilities. And no one needs it more than the knowledge worker population in the world, right? And all the, all the automation yeah. that we have done in software all this, all this while were primarily focused on, honestly, blue collar jobs and, and you know, non-knowledge work trust mm -hmm. because knowledge work is hardly innately harder to automate, right? And I think with this crop mm -hmm. of, um, you know, AI and this, the where the market is right now with all the research is coming out, to me, that's the big aha opportunity, right? It's like, the, how do you really give a Jarvis mm -hmm. suit to turn every Tony Stark into an Iron Man, right? So um, huge opportunity. Yep, um, that, that's... 100%. And, and if you think about it, I think it's a very astute observation. Automation in the past has been on manual labor work, but I think this this automation will be about getting efficiencies, but also like sort of increasing the capacity of what humans can do, especially around the knowledge and skills, because skills have been like you, you skills takes a, like a lot of a lot of time to like build, right? So these are not like human uh, sort of like mechanical skills that we are teaching ourselves, but these are like knowledge skills. And a lot of that is like you know like making these uh, connections in through experience and heuristics and like obviously like well-known patterns, which has which is in our brains in certain ways. So bringing that into sort of something that becomes repeatable, I think is where we are going, right? So it, it, it's fascinating. It's, it's great to it's be doing It's great this. to be doing yeah. this. Now, uh, one last question to you around, you know, advice for the, you know, kids getting out of college, you know, entrepreneurs and builders mm. and stuff. What, you know, what's, what's you know, you're, you know, you, you've done a lot of different things in your life. What's your advice to all of them uh, in when they're actually either starting their career or starting their companies or thinking mm -hmm. about it in this time? Right. I mean, I've always taken the plunge to learn something. So uh, maybe uh, I'll caveat my advice with, you know, like my biases. Um, uh, so so I, I really think that this is the best time to actually learn how, how can you change something using tools like AI, but also knowing where it where it's not applicable, right? So first thing, obviously, like, you know, this just learn this. This is not, this is an actually easily usable AI, unlike the past versions of AI, where you needed a certain level of like ground uh, based level of knowledge, which would always tip most yeah. people off. But this one is a very practically useful, usable technology, right? So it doesn't take long for you to like, uh, apply this. I mean, you're not not everybody should be a researcher, so people who are applying this uh, uh, should be using this. So that's the first thing. The second thing I would say is like you know like 
um, the risk for trying things is almost zero or marginal. And when I say that, I'm not saying that go go build an AI for flying planes. But uh, what I mean by that is like, you know, basically uh, trying this for hobby projects are like the mar the cost for this is almost zero. You're basically, it's your human cost. Uh, if there are already open models that are close to zero or like even GPD is like pretty uh, affordably cheap for trying things. So just try, like build stuff, show it out there, put things out there for people to like, you know, use and give feedback. So I think that build, working with a community is the right way. And then there are so many great communities out there in open that are trying to do things, even in healthcare, uh, you know, we, we are, healthcare is not as open, but there are communities there that are trying to like push push what's possible in, in open source and other places. So I would say those are the places like anybody new without necessarily like a lot of computer science or AI background. Um, this is very tangibly useful right now for people to try and do That's things. awesome. Akshay, such a pleasure. What a, what a great conversation. Thoroughly enjoyed it. Where can the Thank viewers you. and listeners find you on the internet? How can they get in touch with you? <laughs> well, I I definitely am more active on LinkedIn now uh, as I've uh, reduced my social media presence. But you can find me on on LinkedIn, Akshay Sharma Lyric. Should I should show up? I'm also on Twitter. I'm not been as active in the last in the last six months, but I I aim to get back. So you can find me at uh, my full name at Akshay Sharma is my actual handle. So you can find me there. Uh, but always like, you know, Akshay.Sharma at Lyric.ai, shoot me an email. I'm happy to like, you know, converse. And, and I want to say, Ganesh, this has been a great conversation. It feels like, you know, we, we are continuing to like have this conversation over and over. Uh, and I think every time we talk, there is something new that you have learned that you're sharing with me. And I, I'm Same doing thing, certain yeah. things that I'm sharing with you. Uh, we should do it more yeah, often. Absolutely. So. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I'm already signing you for my next season. You're going to come back in anyway. So uh, we oh, should probably you. do it more, you know, more often and, than and seasons. But no, no, you're, you know, thank you so much for spending the time. And I learned so much with this interaction. And, you know, like you said, very selfishly, I do this because I enjoyed this conversation and the learning for me. This is my accelerated learning too, right? So uh, really appreciate the time. Thank you so much for taking the time today. And thank fascinating. You. Have a great rest of I hope you enjoyed this conversation. If you did, I encourage you to do three things. Number one, share with your friends and family. If someone else can learn from this, get inspired and take action, they need to. Number two, subscribe so you do not miss a single episode. You can do it at your favorite podcast location or at youtube.com. Number three, let me know if you have any questions, comments, or ideas for me or my guests. And check out storiesinai.com to access show notes and more resources. Thank you for listening. See you next time.